0: Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever and whenever you are listening in or watching today's podcast. I'm very honoured today to have Jason Megson, Managing Director and Vice President at George P. Johnson. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Adam. Jason, to to fill those in, I mean, who doesn't know what George P. Johnson does? If it's a brand in the events industry, you've not come across then where, where have you been hiding? But for those... In your own words what what does george p johnson do for the sector um
1: it's always difficult to try and put this in really simple terms but we've been around for a long time so we've actually uh, adapted to what our clients come to us with since 1914 um originally out of uh, detroit uh, back then uh, now in this current day we operate predominantly as an event agency a brand experience agency so clients come to us with Hopefully a brief and hopefully some objectives in terms of why they're doing what they're doing. And and we help them bring that um, brief and that business objective to life in a live environment. And just now, perhaps we do it in a different environment. But on the whole, our last hundred or so years has been bringing to life clients, briefs, usually tied to marketing objectives in a live environment.
0: Yeah, and I've personally been fortunate enough to, to visit some of those. I know you work with Cisco. I've, I've been to Cisco Live when it was back in Milan a few years ago. Um, and obviously, I'm kept abreast from, from your great PR company who you know, keeps me up to date with all the, the fantastic things that you do. It's interesting that you say when they come to you with a brief, how often, how often does that happen? Or how often are those briefs kind of like really blue sky thinking you have to bring people down a little bit to more the reality of what can happen? Yeah, I think,
1: I think clients, it's funny, and an event agency, when you're, when you first start an event agency and you, you get to a point where you get your first client brief as maybe an account lead or a senior producer, and you go through this sort of year of being really frustrated because you just don't know what the client actually wants, but then you need to put yourself in your, in your client's shoes and realize that maybe it's part of their portfolio of things to do in that day or that year. It's a very, very small part. And they have lots of other pressures, whether they're commercial or different marketing channels that they have to consider. So, you know, for us, um, we're always trying to support a client in giving us a great brief. And sometimes that means that it's quite an iterative process that we work with them on. Um, And those are usually the ones that end up with the best brief and the best output. Um, Because as soon as you're really, really clear in your objectives and your audience and some of those pretty fundamental things that deliver great work, and you're going to get there unless you make some big mistakes.
0: I guess that's part of the value of the offering that an agency like yourselves brings though to the table, isn't it? It's being able to help that client and that customer tease out those ideas and those thoughts yeah. and those objectives and, and put them down on paper so ultimately that you can you can deliver on them. Because I would imagine that a lot of the time maybe people have a rough idea but but need your guidance and that's part of the value that you bring in. Yeah, absolutely. What what's the typical day of a VP look like then at, at GPGA? Well, firstly, I hate the term VP. It's a kind okay. of thing. We'll, we'll ditch that from now. Right? That, that's, that's, <laughs> not my
1: that's just my title. I, I was kind of born with that almost in this, in this role, but yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, certain naming devices that's travelled the Atlantic, and it's part of, part of my business card. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, in my role as managing director of the UK Nordics operation, um, it would be easy to say there's no typical day, but there's usually a, a few themes that play out across the day. Um, I think certainly at the moment, one of our priorities um, as a business, and then hence one of my main priorities, is doing a lot of work with our team and our people. Mm -hmm. And then that would play out with uh, discussions around particular clients and particular opportunities, and I might have conversations directly with clients or directly with team leads. And then also, in order to support all of that activity, uh, both for clients and for our team, I have to be sort of constantly on top of some of the commercials and the financials. So it's actually a really, really great role. Um, you know, Sometimes I'm really lucky to have a fantastic supportive team at GPJ around me and say, God, it must be so hard, there's so much pressure. But actually, the, sort of, the diversity of it means that even within, when in some areas there's significant pressure points, because it's so diverse, it kind of takes the heat off maybe an area where you need to focus a bit more time and effort, and perhaps it is a bit head-scratching. Yeah. Um, so, so i love it i love
0: the diversity of it. I, i'm the same I'm, i've got a very diverse um, role at event industry news i get sometimes involved in client meetings and sales and editorial and podcasts and all that kind of stuff and i i personally wouldn't have it any other way um and i think that's something that actually we try and cultivate within our team to have them doing more than one thing um yeah. rather than just one sole thing especially at the moment being you know either remote or working from home and stuff. I think I think that's really important. What what's the general feeling from a from an agency like yourself in in the as we you know, Elephant in the Room, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, I guess. We don't have a start date yet for any events here in the UK specifically. What what's it what's the feeling like at, at GPJ? Yeah, I mean it's
1: a real roller coaster. It certainly has been since the beginning. I think since even this I suppose the first kind of bellwether bit of noise for us, particularly in Europe and the UK, was when mobile world congress was Mm cancelled and then since then there's been lots of highs and lows um and and, you know some of those without being too melodramatic there's a a bit of a sort of existential crisis for the industry at the moment because we're trying to work out you know where do we have meaning and purpose and value and how can we add that into this really uncertain environment that we're in so it is pretty challenging you know i i I, I certainly applaud um, those in the industry that are continuing to be sort of optimistic and those that are just looking at a little poster behind you talking about pivoting into different areas where they can deliver experiences, perhaps in a virtual and hybrid world, and we're certainly doing that too. But there is just so much uncertainty and linked to that, such a rapid pace of change that, hey, it's, it's not easy. And you know, I think for, for me and my role and, and with the team at the agency, it's just about being really, really honest. And, yeah. and also being honest about the fact that we don't have all the answers. I think we, we started with a sort of optimistic leadership view of we don't have a crystal ball, but by God, this will recover in this way and we'll be stronger after it. Mm. And then I think we got past that because of the extended nature of, of the crisis. And we've just felt that the best way to move forward is just be really, really honest, really transparent, sharing you know, where as a business, we're having to take some risks, make some bets, and, and understand that based on those risks and those bets, we may we may make it through looking this shape, and we may make it through looking that shape. But if we're all kind of aware of them, then there'll be no really nasty surprises for people. But even then, it's tough.
0: It's tough. I'm I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you share what some of those risks, those rolls of the dice, might? might look like i think everybody's kind of searching for Hmm. information advice thoughts even if they don't necessarily agree with them because at least it helps them frame how they're feeling a little bit better um if you can share that is
1: no i can share bits of it without giving away our entire business strategy (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think we're, we're trying to take a pragmatic view about what the medium term looks like and i think the medium term for us with a UK client base and a quite sort of regional European client base is that until we get to the point that we have some real clear guidance, but probably most importantly, a vaccine for coronavirus, we're not really going to be able to get past that glass ceiling and where we're going to be able to deliver events at significant scale. I, I have no doubt that we will operate within the realms of some of the great work that a lot of associations and agencies like us are supporting in terms of what's safe and returning to events. I think we've got to be honest about the fact that in order to accelerate back into any kind of normality, we need to get through this sort of medium term kind of hiatus that, you know, we may be out of lockdown, but we're now in the, oh gosh, this is where we've got to roll our sleeves up and get through another tough period. So we're, we're sort of retooling our business so that we can have as much flexibility to adapt to opportunities and client needs within that sort of middle period.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think, you know, what I've been saying to people is that uh, our, our as a sector, our job is to overcome challenges. That's what we do. You know, um, we have to keep people safe. We have to deal with crowds. We have to deal with hygiene, risk assessments, um, difficult situations, difficult venues. And, and there's so many spinning balls. I think there's a meme that goes around which on on the face of it, somebody looks really calm at the front of at front of house, and then back of house, they look yeah. an absolute mess. And there's some truth in that, in the sense that everything that is going off behind that you know these spinning uh, spinning plates is kept you know behind mm-hmm. the scenes, and, and for everybody else, it looks all really smooth. So for me if we can move ahead and, and i'm personally looking for the government to engage with us and um, we seemed a little ignored at the moment um mm. considering how fundamentally underpinning we are for every sector out there in terms of business and trade and economy happening yeah. um, that's the thing i'm hoping we're, we're recording this podcast on on the 16th of, of july and for me every day that that tips away is, is another day far too long at the moment Um, So we'll we'll hopefully see something come from that. But as soon as we do get that um, information, whether that's a start date, whether that's a a procedure, whether that's a a level that we need to get to, then I think as an industry, we'll really start to turn a corner in terms of that focus and and, and moving on and helping our customers bring events, face-to-face events back. Um, I guess my next question to you is then, um, I I want to come on to the pivot thing, because I think it's an interesting one from from an agency point of view, and I'm sure live streaming and all that kind of stuff is is nothing new to you guys. Um, But but coming back to to your team, how have you been supporting your um, staff and team that are probably kind of separated out at the moment? How's that been working from an operational point of view and a company point of view?
1: Um, I think if we look at this, the first part, which is working remotely, working from home, environment, and we're talking to each other now, um, that's something that actually we adapted to really quickly and wasn't that challenging.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even even for, and we were surprised by that, but then I suppose by the very nature of what we do, and because we work remotely often when we're with clients on site or when we're in, in different markets in different countries, um, we were able to adapt to that really quickly. So... I think being able to maintain some cohesion and an agency culture with a working-from-home environment was was a success, despite the fact that I was very sad about our beautiful office in London being very empty and some of our plants dying and some of those simple things. So so that was a win. I think when, you know, being really, really honest with you, I think when we got to the point where, for us, it seemed um, sensible and prudent to utilise the job retention scheme and furlough, um, I think our experience of that is that that's been tough yeah Um, because because it's it's really difficult you got you got some competing kind of forces where you want to make sure that those individuals in certain roles who are on furlough are are able to get some breathing space and they're not being um, abused in the sense of you know you hear some kind of uh, not so savory stories about people being on furlough and still working right and that's absolutely not in the spirit of what it's meant to do. And, and frankly, and we've been very, very careful about that. But then keeping those people connected with the agency has been really tough because of those competing forces. And um, we've done a lot of things that I think have worked well. But I think in general, if you move from a working in home environment to then being on furlough, that's like a sort of double isolation hit. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been tough for people. And we've taken on a lot of feedback. We've created like well-being chat channels, mm-hmm. initiatives around it. Um, we we did our own uh, lockdown cookbook, and um, where everyone contributed. Oh, Trade bakes are very popular at the moment. <laughs> um, so we've been and quizzes and some of the some of the things that everyone's been been working on. But I still think it was it's been really hard for any business, never mind ours, to crack that very sort of tricky isolationary feeling of of being on furlough. Um, yeah. and that's been tough.
0: I think that's a really good point, you know, putting those initiatives, like you say, the, the the jovial stuff, the relaxing stuff. But for me, I see many companies that have a culture where, you know, they, as my missus calls it, it's my second life. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you have these work families, don't you, and relationships that ultimately take up sometimes, especially in the events industry, more than that standard eight hour day. Spend so much time around these people that to, to have that almost taken away through no choice becomes really kind of jarring i think right. um i personally have found that i'm it was interesting for me i've worked away from the rest of the team for the last decade and plus so for me not having an office there's been no no change there but it's actually not being going to be able to go to events and that's mm. really strange for me i you know asked me six months ago i'd probably be saying i've seen the last trade show i want to see i've seen the last event i don't want to go to another press for a launch or something like that but now i think i'd go to anything i go i think i go to the opening of a dog home um so it's it's really interesting how like you say it's it's a transition into this environment where it's almost like a prison weirdly Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's really good to hear that you've been been doing all those things. I'm interested to see what the winning uh, recipe is for the, for the tray bake. I, I'd be, maybe we can we get a blog post up about that, the okay. Johnson I can tray can bake. certainly share
1: that with you, yeah. So I'll share that with you, it's a good one.
0: <laughs> um, I'm assuming here that you've been helping a lot of your customers transition or do something online. How, how do you personally feel about online events and, and what the future might hold when face-to-face events actually can take place again
1: yeah well as you asked how do you personally feel i'll be very honest i feel very sad about
0: it <laughs> okay yeah no i want i want truth and honesty um, it's not all, all roses
1: i think um i think it's a necessity and I, and I think when you when you link that back to maybe some of those more fundamentals around what businesses need to achieve commercially or with communications etc then it's absolutely the right thing for Um, certain businesses to do and to be supported by agencies like ourselves in order to adapt to that environment. Um, But to your previous point around, you know, how you would go to the opening of a a dog home, I think as individuals and human beings, never mind the fact that we're so closely linked to the event industry, we're just desperate to go out and socialize. Mm. So on a personal level, I'm really sad that I spend a lot of time talking about virtual events and virtual event platforms and Uh, the technologies um, but then when you put your professional hat on you say okay well let's just think about why we're actually doing this this is not because you know I want to go to a music festival this is because this business that I'm supporting and needs to get this message out needs to talk about this new product needs to meet in some form um, and so let's do our best to support them."
0: yeah I mean for me it's nothing new I think there's obviously been an explosion of uh, adoption should we say yeah. Um, through, through no real choice other than really those, there is no other choice. Yeah. Um, and I personally am a massive fan of, of tech, clearly. I'm, you know, I write about it a lot. I've got two <clears> events, <throat> events that support the sector and the knowledge share and the learning and the purchasing of that. Um, I don't see it being a replacement far from it. I think it might actually create lots of opportunity, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a tool. It can never replace that serendipity that uh, happens or that feeling. It's, it's kind of like saying it's the same. If you bought bought something from Amazon or John Lewis for me, you know, going into John Lewis, purchasing some, having that tactile interaction with it, trying it on, seeing what it looks like. That's what real events are all about. The feeling that you come away with. Yeah. Um, amazon or online events are a process in order to get something um, information yeah. um, leads generation all that kind of stuff yeah. is there is there anything that on that side of stuff though that does interest you is that do you see anything that is a good opportunity and, and a focus for, for yeah. you and your customers yeah no, i think you're right
1: to to mention the fact that what's being interesting about these circumstances is that it has revealed where there are some more interesting opportunities around how technology can augment or add to or enhance an experience and that you know the spotlight's very much so on the, the platforms the providers how you work with technology to get the best possible experience because as you mentioned with amazon and um, that's a commoditized transactional experience and you're really pleased that it really works but you're not excited about it and <laughs> um, but, but what it does do, and which, which is also interesting as well in terms of opportunities, is there's been this sort of ongoing uh, interesting debate around how we can improve our metrics from an ROI perspective, all the data that's out there, big data, et cetera. With, with this period and everyone's focus on acceleration into digital technologies to support events, it will give us more capability, more understanding more products in the kind of technology suite that will help us to start to really get under the skin of the quantitative ROI. Mm. Now, I, I, like you, believe that there's something serendipitous and beautiful about real life events, and that's really the qualitative stuff that we always wax lyrically about, and that's why we create amazing things, that sort of balance of art and science.
0: Yep.
1: Um, but I do think that it's certainly an opportunity, uh, with all the uptake and usage of technology, To get under the skin about how we can accelerate into a more balanced view of where ROI is for events in B2C, B2B, any kind of event.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I don't know whether you'd agree with this, and I don't. I don't want to put words into your mouth at all. But coming from a publisher's perspective, you know, our job is to ultimately engage a quarter of a million people in the industry every year um, through continually delivering content. Um, And the engagement that exists there tends to actually happen more on other platforms like social media, Twitter, Facebook. That's where the conversation happens rather than necessarily Facebook with people commenting and stuff. But we provide information and we provide the tools in order for people to have those conversations. And I wonder whether, as a whole, some organisations will use events online almost as a way to continually publish and connect. There's been this idea of this 360 day 65 day engagement platform unicorn kind of thing and I still don't know if we're even 10% of the way there but I I almost wonder if we'll see a lot of organizers maybe not corporates but the, the run-of-the-mill organizers kind of move that way with their events becoming part of, of, of publishing and, and keeping a community to, together What what's your thoughts on that yeah I think you're
1: absolutely right and you've even you've even seen that in um, the publishing world over the last 10-15 years you know publishers have, have been part of the sector that have really got under the skin of the value of events and how it can be a super channel for them to, in essence, kind of self-perpetuate this kind of content wheel. So a bit of any industry that's, that's almost done it right and have this kind of always-on platform, publishing um, are, are closest to that nirvana. But I, I think you're right, some some maybe smaller businesses will do it, but they'll do it almost subconsciously because they just know it's the right thing to do. And And whereas the bigger corporates May find it, although I believe this period will accelerate it, they may find it a bit harder to break out of their silos of how they divvy up their marketing spend and who's responsible for what and where the ROI goes from each of those particular silos. But, but this is, this, now's the time to kind of rip up the rule book and, and think about it a bit more holistically for
0: sure. Yeah, I suppose going to, uh, leading on from that, then, you know, one of the things that became very apparent to me. For some organisations, not all, because I, I, you know, I've been to your offices in London, and I know you actually have people, almost kind of, I think you call it the GPJ lab, um, yeah. that are actively looking at what technologies and what platforms and what solutions can be used, and that can be anything from as far as VR and AR and drones right down to you know the run-of-the-mill systems that we see as part of the events industry. But one of the one of the elements that I saw in terms of a lack of readiness on hold from the industry was the skills and the skills gap that was apparent from people and, and some of those being digital skills maybe even people being thrust into dealing with things that they would have never ever dealt with before things like live streaming you know platforms um even even gdpr hurdles around people becoming being visible online things like that yeah. Do you what, what skills do you think that as an industry that we should be encouraging to nurture through our businesses in order to to kind of make us stronger in those areas, to be able to attract that ROI, but also to be able to, God forbid, there be another pandemic and we all go home again, yeah. um, to, to put us in a better position to switch quicker or to, to be more resilient? It's a, it's a good question. I think
1: an area that I've always admired, if you look at some of the adjacent kind of communications sectors in in the creative industries is the digital agency landscape Mm. and and then also linked to that maybe some of the the technology companies and that actually gratefully we work with um, as part of our client group but some of the methodologies if you kind of strip it back to ways of working where you can learn around things like project management whether it's sprints agile Scrums, all these sort of technology buzzwords that actually when you start to get involved in them are are really interesting and innovative ways of working and versus perhaps if I'm being a little bit harsh on maybe the more traditional event agency world or event planning world Mm -hmm. is maybe from the genesis of, you know, real brutal big project planning kind of construction sites, etc. I think those are really, really interesting skill sets and, and perhaps even training opportunities for any event business. Um, and then linked to that, um, that supports a kind of fundamental, I suppose, delivery engine and way of working that just means you can do things faster. And the future for us is, is going to be continued flexibility and, and then linked to that, as an individual um, curiosity, because you have to want to learn. Yeah, exactly. Because things change so fast, you have to want to learn. Yes, you have to be passionate about what we deliver, absolutely, that's a fundamental, but you have to continue on a learning journey. You can't, you can't in this industry, especially now, be a person whose mindset is, oh, but we've always done it this way, or this is the only way it works, because that's out the window. And this has certainly focused our minds on that type of, I suppose, mindset, not being fit for purpose for the future so i think there's lots to learn around there and then also in creativity as well if you look at some of the um not so much it's a little bit of a methodology but more around how maybe the digital and creative industries have looked at planning out user experience Mm. and different types of engagement and how that's mapped and delivered and also just how that's sold to clients Um, there's some really interesting ways that, that we can learn from that particular sector. And and in essence, some of that helps us to simplify some of the things that we already sell to our clients. And they say, well, why is it good? And we just say, well, it just is good. And then actually, it's, no, it's good because we've done this, this, and this and considered X, Y, and Z. So yeah, I think there's lots to learn.
0: I think you make some amazing points there around both the, the, the level of interest that you, you have, but also the creativity as well. Because again, taking your example of seeing the need to have people that are dedicated to explore and understand and 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 go outside of the realms of what is traditional um and then layered on top of layering that let's say it's technology on top of the creativity or the creativity on top of the technology whichever way you want to sandwich it that's where some of those great things can happen Um, and i think we're in a in a stage at the moment where on the technology side it's kind of like apple in terms of there was this big light bulb moment maybe 10 years ago, and it was kind of like the Apple iPhone moment. that This was something really new and there's lots of things. Now it's, for me, on the technology side, it's almost refinement and iteration. So okay. it, we're getting a better version of what we've, we've had before, maybe with easier access data or more interp- being able to interpret that data more better on the technology side. But actually it's the creativity that's then layered on top of that that makes that technology the wow right? You know, take drones for a fact. Drones, a bit boring for me personally. Yeah, okay, I can fly one around. But sink a thousand of those up in the night sky as part of a light show, that's the creative part, isn't it, that, that people really need to, to do. I personally would like to see, I think our industry is so interesting and, and one that actually needs to attract more of what I see in terms of really forward-thinking people actually in the in the larger corporate big tech side you know those those kind of places that move those companies on leaps and bounds uh, over the decades if we can attract some of that into our sector maybe that's around digital maybe it's around creativity maybe it's some of those creative digital agencies that you mentioned yourself Mm -hmm. then I think we'll be so much stronger because we've got the we've got the piece down about, we know how to make people feel good once we've got them on an event site in a venue, right? We we know how to do that. But if we can pinpoint all of that, I'm going back to our earlier point of maybe not being seen as an important sector by government, then I think we'll be in a much stronger, stronger place going forward. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I I, to- I totally agree. And I think that there's um, the, the point, particularly around government is, it's a little bit of a sort of psychological hangover from the role that we play delivering the event you know we are and no disrespect to what you're wearing just now um but we are the people that get a kick out of being wearing black t-shirts and hiding it's
0: the first time i've worn a
1: black t-shirt and i'm not i'm not i am picking on you but i'm not because i know you're not like that but you know my team want to be the people in the black t-shirts at the back of an event just marveling at what they've helped create but they don't want to be on stage saying look at what we created and i think you see you're sort of that kind of mindset is, is manifesting itself a little bit now where we, we really do need to shout loud and proud about what we do, and we're sort of struggling to kind of coalesce together and have one voice. But I know that there's some, there's some steps being made, but I think that's been tough for us to be front of stage rather than back of house.
0: Yeah, I don't want to mention quite right now because I think what I'm aware of happening at, right at this moment in time, especially over the last couple of days, will probably be old news by the time that this yeah. podcast is, is published. Um, but I totally agree with you, you know, to the associations that are representing us um, around the globe, I think individually they are doing a, a fantastic job. They're doing their best um, okay. because let's be honest with you, on the whole, associations are people within the industry that have got other time, full-time jobs and they've got probably their own businesses and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very much a voluntary offering. However, I think back to your point is we now need forever... And, and for the future to have a way for all those associations to come together to bring a, a single voice to, to to business industry and government because it'll just be stronger it'll be more cohesive it'll be more joined up um you know and it's not like we're a small industry we're trillions of dollars in terms of of, of you know overall business turnover and, and influence and stuff so that's the one i i've called it the the knights of the round table one person from each association that comes, and maybe they meet regularly and often, and communicate about the next big risk or the next big thing that might, you know, be something that as an industry we need to take over. And even, you know, joined up on topics and subjects like diversity and inclusion and things like that. You yeah. know, I see lots of pockets of these things setting up within each individual association, and absolutely that needs to happen to service their members in the way that they need because. Even though we call it the events industry exhibitions are slightly different to corporate events and corporate events are different to experiences and things like that so i get that but on the whole these are these are industry-wide topics and and this very much so it feels to me like again we could have been in a better place to deal with this head-on six months ago yeah
1: um
0: final question for you um what is the big topic for you other than the pandemic that you think we need to discuss and have a more open conversation with in, as, a, as a sector? Well,
1: there's two, but you only want me to have one.
0: You can, you can absolutely have two.
1: Well, you, you mentioned one already, which is about diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think a lot of individuals and a lot of the indus- industry has been caught a little bit off guard Um, and not so much maybe off guard is the wrong word, but maybe even a little bit flat-footed about how quickly um, this has moved back up to the top of the agenda, and quite rightly so, and then also we're grappling as an industry about how we get our head around it and how we actually take action to support a more diverse and inclusive industry. I I don't by any means think that we're in a place where uh, we've got big, big problems, but I think the important thing which underpins this whole movement at the moment is it's not about, you know, focusing in on saying, oh, we're all right, we've got no problems here. It's actually about taking action to continue to push forward and be more diverse and more inclusive. And then we've got a lot of work to do there across the industry. Um, and I hope that we're able to come together in some ways to make some positive steps, even in the environment of um, that we're in right now, where we're sort of struggling with some really tricky commercial uh, challenges. Yeah. That's certainly one. And I, and I would never have... You know, I I would always be striving to uh, create a diverse and inclusive agency if you'd spoken to me in January, but it's way, way up the top of my agenda now. And I'm absolutely behind it. I want to make sure that we can make some progress there. So that's one. The second one um, has got to be sustainability. Um, And um, I'm really, really, out of many of the things that I'm not so optimistic about, at the moment, I'm just trying to be a pragmatist. I'm really optimistic that in the next 12 to 18 months, the industry can come together, and we can make a genuine difference and make some good progress around sustainability. Whereas, I think we've really struggled to either consider it, understand it, you know, come together uh, behind that um, particular uh, topic, which is hugely important. And we have, we can create some uh, some positive change there because we do have a, a negative impact historically. And um, so that those for me are the two biggies. They're a bit obvious. Um, but I think it would be just mad for me not to mention how important they are.
0: I, th- I think, yeah, they are obvious. Um, again, I don't think enough is discussed on both of them, on, on the diversity point of view. I'm at the point where I'm learning. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know enough. Um, I'm trying to engage with individuals that do, and are very clear on what um, change needs to happen, what needs to be discussed. Actually more also over what it's not about what needs to be it's how we start to implement change and and agree on what that change looks like and all that kind of stuff as a a sector so very much with with you on that sustainability i'm almost expecting somebody to come out with a report at the end of the year saying how sustainable our sector has been over the last 12 months but maybe that (laughs) underlying that the fact that no events have happened um but you are right you know again it's a fine balance isn't between focusing on um, keeping people at home, because that doesn't really help events um, in, in terms of travel and that impact that that has. But as a, you know, there's no denying the fact that as a as an industry, we build and break for the moment. And I think we can do better. Now, my own opinion, and again, engaging with agencies like yourself, I know that there are moves made, being made to come up with a, a, an agreement on what measures ...or what, how we measure sustainability as an industry, because that's one of the th- really difficult things, especially when I've looked into it before, is like how what, what's being measured, how is it being measured, what's the validity of it being measured, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think if we can get that to a sector and start to create trends and benchmarks within sustainability, then we can absolutely move the needle. And it also puts everybody on a level playing field, because let's be honest about it, it's commercial most of the time it's a choice of material of production of delivery and all that kind of stuff and we also have clients that are putting pressure on to you know do things cheaper or more efficiently and then always ones that unnecessarily have that eye on sustainability because they see themselves as one event of of many so what what does that impact really mean because but we're viewing it from a from obviously a whole sector point of view. So I'm, I'm absolutely with you on there. So we'll, we'll have to invite you to be one of our judges next year on the sustainability event awards, which is an initiative that we launched. Cause again, I think we we saw that although there were pockets of recognition for sustainability, there needed to be this overriding kind of like focus on it. Um, and it's something we're certainly taking more of an editorial look at over the next 12, 20, well forever, not, not just over the next 12 months. Um, so I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, Jason, I appreciate you are super busy, even though you're working from home. Um, where can people connect up with you if they want to reach out with, out to you and, and discuss any of these points further? Um,
1: do you know what? I'm, I'm terrible on most of the social channels, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a slave to the corporate world of LinkedIn. So they can reach <laughs> to me on LinkedIn. That's, okay. that's, that's my most active channel um, if you find me on Twitter and Instagram and all these others, I'm I'm appalling and I'm all constantly getting told off, But at LinkedIn I'm very active.
0: I don't think anybody wants to look at my my Instagram. It's all, it's just pizza and beer and that sounds good. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> far too far too telling of my lifestyle. That's what I say. I'm with you. LinkedIn's the way forward because it's all the all the corporate stuff there. Jason, I've really enjoyed today. I'm um, I'm sure we'd love to get you back as a as a guest again. Um maybe when events can go back and and we're into that and we'll talk we can talk to you about some of the stuff that you guys are delivering and stuff and um, thank you very much for coming on today and for those that are listening or watching if you'd like today please do give it a like and a share and um, share with your network what uh, me and jason have discussed today and because that really helps and um, spread the information um jason thanks again and we'll see you in the next one thank you